0: Well, if you have Andrew Ollerton's card depicting uh, Paul's letter to the Romans as a mountain climb, you'll see that today we've arrived at Camp 4, the place of rest. And very much as I did uh, last month when we looked at John's letter on the subject of love, I thought, how can we even think of peace and rest with the world in such a state when the very opposite conflict and harmony and disharmony uh, are all around us, feeding on the oxygen of evil and wickedness that seem to be spreading at an alarming rate. A United States that, from a social point of view, seems to be on the brink of a new civil war, in Europe, strikes, discontent, farmers blocking roads and a lack of EU unity, particularly about how to treat the war in Ukraine. NATO just about holding together (coughs) but with some deep (coughs) divisions caused by politicians jostling for selfish advantage instead of appreciating the big picture and outright hostilities in many other areas. One might hope that most countries would like to see an end to violence, but others, like Russia, China and North Korea, continue preparations for war. So where does that leave peace? And what kind of peace would we like to see anyway? And what can usefully be achieved just a cessation of hostilities as many are calling for in Gaza or something more permanent. How often have we heard the expression never again voiced as usual on Holocaust Memorial Day three weeks ago and yet as the speaker at the Jersey event Mr. Beso from Bosnia reminded us atrocities since the Second World War, continue. In fact, they get worse, plumbing new depths every week, it seems, as we see on the media. Well, one thing we as Christians can say with certainty is that humankind, left to its own devices, is patently incapable of providing a sound solution. Instead, we can point to the answer set out in Romans, the letter that does indeed make sense of life as it did for Martin Luther, who started a revolution of faith, something that's desperately needed again in today's turbulent world. Influenced by the media, people are afraid of the wrong things, like supersonic nuclear weapons that Russia boasts about, the much-vaunted military prowess of North Korea and China, Iran's drones, climate crisis, rising prices, the cost of living, illness, lack of adequate health care. Yes, these are genuine concerns, but the one thing the world has largely forgotten or chosen to overlook, is the fear of God. Yet he's the one people really need to be afraid of, the only one with the power not only to chastise in this life, but also for eternity. God's wrath is really scary, and yet many in the West like to deal with that existential threat by ignoring it, conveniently kidding themselves that God is a myth, that humans are deep down good sorts, and that all will be well. The Christian, on the other hand, has peace with God, as Paul explains in our reading, which we look at now. English translations of chapter 5 begin with the word therefore but the emphasis is changed in the original Greek which begins having been justified. In other words those who through faith in Jesus have been declared righteous, justified a past tense, a decisive act of God have peace with him and therefore avoid his wrath, are not subject to that existential threat. Salvation is thus the foundation of our peace, very different from what the world has in mind. And we could say that this peace is the fundamental peace, like a a cut diamond in which all other facets of peace that we can picture with our human minds appear. And Paul encourages us to enjoy this peace, eirene in the Greek, from which the name Irene is derived. And the tense of the verb enjoy implies that we are to go on enjoying it in a continuous appreciation. This peace with God is derived from our faith in Jesus, through whom, verse 2, we have gained access to the grace in which we now stand. We are there. Having been justified through our faith in Christ, we are there. But those who are unrepentant, who remain unrighteous, unjustified and weighed down whether they acknowledge it or not by their sin and guilt can have no real peace and any peace they think they have is illusory it's false security like Neville Chamberlain's waving the piece of paper signed by Hitler as he got off the plane from Munich and announced peace in our time shortly after which Germany invaded Poland and the world descended into its Second World War within two decades. In contrast, the peace that Christians experience rests on the settled will and firm promise of God mediated through his son Jesus. The only drawback is that we don't Fully appreciate the magnitude of the fact that God deems us righteous through our faith in Christ and not, of course, through our own actions, and the privileged position that that bestows upon us, as implied in Paul's gentle command to rejoice. Or in our uh, latest translation of the Bible, it's actually boast, which is the correct uh, Greek word, but most other translations have the word rejoice. We are to rejoice or boast in the hope of the glory of God. Use of the word hope needs clarifying because the moment we put our faith in Christ, we are already justified. With God, so no hope is needed for that. Paul uses hope here to refer to the culmination of our salvation when we are raised from the dead, that euphoric moment when our souls will be united with our resurrected bodies and both will be ushered into the kingdom of God. What a message for today's scarred, chaotic and hurting world. What comfort do you think that could bring to Mrs Yulia Navalny or to the relatives and families of the thousands of UK COVID victims who might have seen on TV this week the series breathtaking about the pandemic? and which showed in graphic detail how unprepared the government and the NHS were and what poor decisions were made in tackling it. How would such hope affect the outlook of the survivors of the savage attack by Hamas on southern Israel on the 7th of October and the resulting war in Gaza? We don't know how many Ukrainians have been killed by the Russians, but one missionary organization confirms that since Russia's invasion two years ago, many Ukrainians have turned to the Lord. What a comfort for them to know that death is not the end, that no matter what Russian murderers do to them, they and their loved ones will be united on the Day of Judgment. And I bet they remember and quote the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Putin and his bully boys should bear those words in mind and be afraid. They ignore them at their peril. So as Christians we are to rejoice and boast in our hope of glory. And not only that, verse 3, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now that's tough, isn't it? How might the families of the three murder victims of last year's a Nottingham killer react to that, I wonder. You may have seen them on Breakfast TV this week after their successful campaign to have the killer's sentence reviewed. Here in St Juan we have examples of how to deal well with suffering. Our own dear Wendy, Maurice and Martin come to mind, and I'm sure we can each think of others. But it's still tough to accept that we should rejoice at suffering, and perhaps realising this, Paul explains why, in the well-known verses 3 and 4, because we know that suffering, philipsis in the Greek, and I'll return to that in a minute, produces perseverance hypomonie in the Greek a noble word and one of my favourites in the Bible embracing the sense of bravery in remaining under a heavy load almost a combination of the British stiff upper lip and the earthly defiance of the typical East Ender in the London Blitz determined to carry on regardless and not only that but with some humour. My maternal grandmother was an East Ender and uh, during the uh, Blitz uh, one evening um, there was a bombing raid and um, everyone had to get into their little dugout shelters in the garden so everyone was running around in panic looking for uh, gas masks and all the rest of it but my dear uh, grandmother um, valued her false teeth. And so she was running around the house shouting, my teeth, my teeth. And the man next door said to her, get in your dugout, woman. They're dropping bombs, not steak and kidney puddings. (laughs) That's hypomony. And this perseverance produces what our translations have as character, but the Greek word is actually proof, which was applied to metal coins, tested for their weight and genuineness. And through this testing of our faith, hope is produced, and hope, verse 5, does not disappoint or put to shame. We should note a couple of interesting comparisons that emerge from these important verses. Firstly, Paul has, in chapter 2 of Romans, used the word phlipsis, suffering, as the penalty which awaits the wicked. But here, he uses the same expression to show that his fellow Christians must endure a similar experience, but, praise God, with a totally different outcome. The Lord intending it, in our case, to draw us closer to himself. And sadly, in this sinful world, that's often the only way he can get our attention. And we might reflect upon that next time, suffering knocks upon our door. The second contrast lies in the hope that Christians have as a result of this testing process. Now, unfortunately for them, many people today think that Christianity is irrelevant and so place their hope not in God but instead in human goodness and the human spirit. But what Paul is saying in verse 5 is that such hope has no proper foundation and thus is no hope at all because it will disappoint. Unlike the Christian hope which can be relied upon. Why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the reason we can rejoice and we should do so wholeheartedly. Rejoice and Boast. Imagine how revolutionary it would be if we were able to adjust our reaction in that way to the suffering, the difficulties and the challenges that befall us. What would onlookers think? What impact could it have on our society? what changes might result. And can we begin to see how such an attitude shift could produce in us a calmness and serenity, akin to that shown by Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, and particularly when he was the victim of a show trial, like Alexei Navalny's and many others today, at the hands of dictators and after his trial Jesus suffered insults beating and crucifixion and as a result of his costly sacrifice we are redeemed so that we can rely and indeed rejoice and even boast in that noble status and as we do so we come to realise that our true place of rest isn't actually halfway up a mountain after a stiff climb or even in our favourite chair at home. It's in Jesus himself who promised to be with us always. Amen.